Our scripture this morning is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Please stand for the reading of scripture while you're turning. Let me say it's not in the bulletin that we will have uh, evening service tonight. Uh, Philippians 1, 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I see I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And may God add his rich blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Would you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word, and we pray that by the power of your spirit you would come and speak to us that we would see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ high and lifted up and that his sheep would hear his voice and know him and follow him. Come and meet with each of us where we are. You who search our hearts. Your word is sharper than any double-edged sword to the dividing of joints and marrow of soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So may your word go forth in power and speak to each of us right where we are and tell us exactly what we need to hear in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name and for his glory and honor. Amen. Be seated, please. Do our lives fit the gospel? One of the proudest moments of my life was five or six years ago, I was in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where I had been for uh, a week. I was waiting in line at a street vendor to order a sandwich uh, for lunch, and a lady in the line overheard me talking with the person I was with. She turned around and said to me, I know where you're from. Now, all that week in Philadelphia, I'd heard the people say, you're from the South, aren't you? <laughs> Occasionally, someone would say something real smart, like, where are you from, Boston? So I was already getting aggravated when this lady said, I know where you're from. But I said, all right, where am I from? And she said, North Carolina. I said, yes, ma'am, you made my day. I surely am from North Carolina. How could you tell? And she said, my husband is from Rocky Mountain. You sound just like him. I said, they speak far more aristocratic North Carolina English in Rocky Mountain down east than they do in the Piedmont where I come from, so I'm flattered to know I sound like someone from Rocky Mountain. Thank you very much. It's always made me smile to think that a native... Pennsylvanian in Philadelphia could tell I was not just a southerner or a country bumpkin, but a North Carolinian. 
Now, if you look at verse 27, I'll show you exactly why I told you that. You see, it says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. But that term manner of life actually means citizenship or live like a citizen. Later in Philippians 3.20, Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven. So here, Paul is telling the Philippians in this passage to live like uh, citizens of heaven. Or here in verse 27, to live like citizens under the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that in Philippi and in Clover, folk who hear us talk and watch our lives will be able to tell where we're from or where we truly belong. We belong to Jesus and our citizenship is in heaven. So, do our lives fit the gospel. Let's look and see. In this passage, the first sign of being a citizen of Jesus Christ in this passage is unity. Look at verse 27 again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I am come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul wants to see for himself or hear by report that these folk in Philippi and the church have one spirit, one mind, and are striving side by side. Three different ways, Paul says, if you're going to act like citizens of the kingdom of heaven, there will be unity. And see, he says he wants to hear that they're standing firm in one spirit. And there's been some discussion on whether spirit needs to be capitalized. Is he talking about them all having a common spirit as in uh, their attitude? I want you all to have the same attitude or frame of mind. Or is he talking about the Holy Spirit? And as usual, the answer is yes. Paul, throughout his letters, bases unity in the church on the Holy Spirit. He told the Corinthians, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and were all made to drink of one spirit. He told the Ephesians to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the bond of peace 
among believers in the church. There is only one Holy Spirit and He is in all believers. It's common sense. If we all have the same Holy Spirit inside of us, we ought to be unified. How do I have the Spirit of Jesus Christ in me and not care for someone else who also has the Spirit of Jesus Christ. But Paul is also talking about their spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6.17, Paul says, He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So if we have the Spirit of the Lord in us, we are joined to Him and our spirits, our human spirits are one with Him through His Holy Spirit. That raises a question. Are our spirits dominated, filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit? Here's how we can tell. We will be standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side. That's what it says. But striving side by side for what? Every organization tries to work together for some purpose. In our day, there is a movement for the church to strive for what they call social justice. That is not what Paul says our mission is. That is not what Jesus says is the mission of the church. What does it say we are to strive side by side for? Verse 27, the faith of the gospel, faith, the things we believe, the truth of the gospel. And Paul defines the gospel truth. In Romans 1, he says that he was set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And here Paul defines the gospel. Romans 1, 3, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Second Timothy, Paul writes, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, he defends, he defines the gospel like this. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the gospel. It's the message of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that He was a descendant of King David according to the flesh. He died for our sins. He was raised from the dead for us. That is what we are to strive 
four side by side. Where there is disunity in any church, there is typically not much striving side by side for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They may be busy. They may be busy bodies, but they are not busy with gospel work, not busy striving to learn and know the truths of the Christian faith and not busy striving to win souls to the Lord. So Paul says, if we're going to act like citizens of Jesus, we need to be standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. First sign of citizenship is unity. Now, second sign of citizenship in this passage is fearlessness. Look at verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Don't be frightened, he says, by what the world throws at you. In 1555, John Hooper, the bishop of Gloucester, was burned at the stake under Bloody Mary. Bishop Hooper was essentially burned for believing what we believe today in this church. On the morning of his execution, the queen sent a friend of Hooper's, Sir Anthony Kingston, to visit him in his cell. He carried a little box. And in the box was a pardon, signed and sealed by the queen herself if Hooper would recant his faith. Hooper refused. Kingston said to him, consider this, that death is bitter and life is sweet. And Hooper replied, it is true, Mr. Kingston, that death is bitter and life is sweet. But consider this, the death to come is more better and the life to come is more sweet. Paul had said for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For a true believer that gives a sense of fearlessness but it is not that we're strong and heroic it's that Jesus promised he'd never leave us he'll give us words when the time comes and notice at the end of verse 28 he says we'll not be frightened by or really the middle of it, will not be frightened by our opponents. There are some today, and I'm sure they mean well, who say Christians should not view this world in an adversarial way. 
Well, I'm sorry, but the Apostle Paul does not agree with that. He says, we have opponents. And part of having unity in the church involves identifying our true enemies. Our enemies are not other church members we don't jihad with. Our enemies are the people who want to make it illegal for us to teach our boys that they are boys and can only date girls and that our girls are girls and can only date boys. Our enemies are the powerful politicians who say it's okay to kill a baby right up to the moment of birth and even maybe after the baby is born. These are our enemies. They're our opponents, not other members of the church of Jesus Christ. And the fact that our opponents do not intimidate us into silence. Paul says in verse 28, look at it, is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. In other words, we're going to heaven and they're going to hell. Period. You see signs of citizenship. Unity. Fearlessness. And thirdly and finally, you see opposition is a sign of citizenship to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 29. For it is granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, I've said this so many times. I'll say it again. Don't look for conflict. Jesus said if they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Don't be obnoxious. I've been blunt this morning, but I've tried not to be a jerk. But if you stand for the truth, there will be opposition. you spit in the wind, you spit on yourself. That's a law. If you follow Jesus, you're pushing against the whole world. Paul says, they saw this in him. You see verse 30, engaged in the same conflict you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. You know, when Paul started this church at Philippi, he and Silas went to prison. Paul cast a demon out of a slave girl who was being exploited by men to tell fortunes for profit. Paul saved the girl and cut off their hope of fortune. And they had him beat and thrown into prison. And now he's in jail again. There's an old story. On July 4th, 1776, when the Second Continental Congress signed the Declaration of Independence, one of the delegates said, if we sign this, we'll all hang together. And according to the story, Benjamin Franklin, in his usual wit, said, 
We must all hang together, or most assuredly, we shall all hang separately. Friends, the world opposes the message of Jesus Christ. We all going to hang together. So in the meantime, here in the church, we better all hang together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.